the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast Green Room Edition, and today I am joined by the delightful Ian Brett, the other half of the DITC. So it's great to have you on. Ian, how are you this fine evening? I'm very well, thank you. The first person to call me delightful in a very long time. I mean, we've not spoken much yet, so I could change my opinion by the end of this episode, but I like to make people feel welcome when we first start. Um, but yeah, this is the, the Green Room edition of the show where we talk about the latest news and goings on and offer some opinions around the uh, the industry. And there's one big thing that's been uh, sort of headline news this, this past week or so, if you like. Do you want to uh, let us know what that is and go into some details on what's actually gone on the past week? So the big change legislation-wise this week is the abolition, probably the right word, of the car and trailer test. So to go into a bit of history, in the late 90s, the laws around licences were changed. So if you wanted to tow a large trailer, you had to take a test, which was designed to try and reduce the number of accidents that were happening with trailers. Um, If you passed your test before the 1st of January 1997, you could tow anything up to a three and a half ton trailer behind a three and a half ton car. After that, you had to take a test to do that. There were some ways you could get around taking a test, either a lightweight trailer and a lightweight car, but generally most people need to take a test. Um, to give you a bit of history with B plus E, it's one of those categories that it's not quite lorries and it's not quite cars. So it's kind of a bit of a grey area of what's going on. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, including with the DVSA. I passed my trailer test in 2013, having spoken to a senior member of the EVSA staff who said, the moment I pass my car and trailer test, I can teach it, which is what I went and did. I was subcontracting for a colleague who asked to see my licence just to check things and see my um, public indemnity, public liability insurance. Then he turned around and said, hang on a minute, you've only just passed your test, you're not allowed to teach for three years which I went to DVSA call center and said, no, no, he's wrong. You can drive. You can teach about your pass test with car and trailer. Then some other people got involved at DVSA and it turns out that I'd been given the wrong information and I lost a rather large sum of money at that moment in time because my business had moved from cars and learners into trailers. I'd just bought a second vehicle, invested in a trailer, and all that went up in smoke. Um, I did have a couple of colleagues who helped me out, but that kind of at that point I'd kind of lost interest and lost the motivation with it. Um, in 2016, just before my three years was up, they changed the law to say that if you are an ADI, you can pass your test in any category and teach it immediately under what's known as the ADI Equivalence Act, because there were certain European countries where that was the law. You could pass your test and teach it immediately. Over here, that wasn't the case. So the EU brought in the ADI Equivalence Act so that everybody who had an ADI badge could go and teach the moment they passed the test to make things more equal. In the last few months, we've had a lot of talk of the fact that if you pass your test in an automatic vehicle for B plus E, C1 and D1, but you have a manual category B or car licence, you can drive a man, you can take your test in an automatic vehicle and then get your manual vehicle license because you've already shown you can drive a manual car, which is very similar to what they've done with lorries and coaches 
And that was brought in because it's getting more and more difficult to buy a brand new automatic lorry. So if you can't buy the trading vehicle, how are you going to work that with the test? So we had that change come in. There's been a big push on examiners being trained. There's been a lot of talk about other things changing in the industry as well with vehicle requirements. So you need a larger vehicle and a larger trailer to make it more like what people can do when they pass their test. And then all of a sudden, without any warning, this consultation document was announced on speeding up the process, making more lorry tests available. Um, one of the things in the document was that if you take your test in a if you want to take your lorry license, you can rather than having to take your class two or your category C test, which is a large rigid lorry up to I think about 32 tons, you can skip that test and go straight to C and E or articulated what's known as class one in old money. That came out along with the consultation about removing the reversing exercise and the hitch and unhitch from the test and having that signed off by a competent person. And the kicker for myself and my colleagues is the B plus E test being removed. All of these changes were being brought in to speed up the process of qualifying to become a lorry driver. The challenge is around this, firstly, DVLA are taking so long to do medicals to get your HGV license, because to drive a HGV or a PCV, so a coach, you have to pass a medical. You then send off your paper at DVLA, they check it all over and they send back your license. That's taking anything up to four to six months, in which time your average punter who's looking for work is going to go, I, I can't wait four to six months for a lorry license. That's just not what's going to happen. So they're finding other work. You also have in the fact that you can leave your house on Monday morning as a lorry driver and be out until Friday evening, tramp, what's known as tramping where we'll be driving all over the country, dropping up, picking up roads, dropping them off. And most people don't want that kind of lifestyle. You then factor in the fact that you can earn more money flipping burgers in McDonald's than you can as a lorry driver without the responsibility, without the rules and regulations. So it's very difficult to make the argument that being a lorry driver is a good career at the moment. So... It, it, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of what you just said. You know, this is me being honest. Um, I'm not particularly knowledgeable on this subject. So I found that really interesting. And, and effectively what you're saying, if I'm reading between the lines correctly and dumbing it down for myself, is that um, they've made this change, but it's probably not going to have a massive immediate impact. No, if anything, they have no immediate impact because the other challenge is all the tests in the local area I'm in, which is Kent in the southeast of England, all the test centres are at capacity. Um, I, we are fairly lucky in the fact that we're only doing one test a week. So it's not hit us that heavily. Um, but you turn up at the test centre and everybody locally is fully booked. So you can take away all the car and trailer tests, which will give you more testing capacity. But the other challenge is all the lorry driving schools have got their lorries fully booked. So they've then got to go and buy another lorry. You can buy a lorry for about seven and a half grand. I wouldn't recommend it. Or you can spend a hundred plus thousand pounds on a lorry. So the DVSA are making all these tests available, but you're, you have to ask the question whether the lorry schools have got the financial capability to go out and buy all these new trucks they need. 
I I would be interested in your opinion on this, and I appreciate it would just be an opinion, but the DVSA must know this. That they, they, they've got access to the same data that, that that you have. So why have they done it? Again, I know I appreciate it's an opinion, but my opinion, and I don't know how popular this will be, is <laughs> I don't think the DVSA had any say in it at all. Uh, the consultation document came out followed, accompanied by a letter from, I want to say then, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps, because I, I don't know, it's been a reshuffle. He might have moved. Oh, no, we've been lucky. Sacked. We've kept him. You know, it could have been worse. You know, we could have got Gavin Williamson, Pretty Patel, you know. I feel like Pretty Patel would get stuff done, though. Um, and wouldn't take anything. So maybe she might have been an advantage. Um, it was Grant Shapps who is still Transport Secretary. Um, Teresa Coffrey, who I think is something to do with business, and George Eustace, who is the Minister at DEFRA, all sent this letter out saying, we've done these amazing things. We're going to do these amazing things. We're going to speed everything up. So I actually don't think DVSA had anything to say about it. Because looking at the amount of money they've invested in, what, in training new examiners, in changing some of the facilities through COVID, putting a lot of extra tests on through overtime, I don't think the DSA had much to say, much opportunity to do anything. I think the minister came in and said, we're doing this to make it easier to get lorry drivers on the road. And I don't think he'd know what an Arctic was if it came up and bit him on the bum. <laughs> um, based on that then, and before we get into the ramifications for safety and the industry and your opinions on that side of it. Um, what If we wanted, I mean, what could we do as, a, as an industry? I mean, I'm making an assumption that most ADIs don't agree with this decision. And I'm also making an assumption that if most of the public knew the specific facts behind the, the decision, they, they wouldn't agree with it either. What could we do if it's not a DVSA decision, but a government decision? Well, it has to go through law, and I believe that the law's got up for um, discussion today, which is the 16th of September. So there is possibly some time. Um, the ADO and JC have sent out a letter that people can copy and paste and send to their MP. I literally just sent mine and had an automatic reply back from my MP about it. Um, I've already emailed her about the changes to try and have some kind of say in it. Um, but... I, I don't think there's much hope. Yeah, I mean, just for anyone listening, I will put a link to that letter in the show notes. If you haven't signed it, you can go and click it. Obviously, uh, you can get an inkling of where my opinion is on this just from the start of this conversation, but it will be there. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's my take on it in that it's happening. You know, it's one of those things where we can complain all we want, but it, it's happening. But I'm kind of interested to take a step back aside from that now and look at the sort of safety and uh, and business ramifications, if you will, because you're someone uh, that, that who's driving school uh, dealt with B&E tests, I'm, I'm correct in saying. Almost a daft question, I hope you don't mind me asking, but how has that affected your business? Uh, like I said, we're quite fortunate. We um, only did one B plus E a week, so we we're not we're not one of the big guys. Um, it was something we were looking to grow, and kind of COVID put us all out. Um, we've got two and a half grand traders out there doing nothing which possibly we might sell, but I think we'll give it a couple of months to see how the land lies. Um, we had to refund a few people. There's a few people who failed tests who booked in to retake who aren't going to, because why would you? 
Um, and although the DVSA is saying everyone should take training and everyone should go and get some experience with a trailer, I passed my test in a Ford Focus. I've driven all manner of vehicles, including long wheelbase, high top transit, and I've had no training on that at all. To go from a Focus to a long wheelbase, high top transit, it's a radically different vehicle. Yeah, I've got no training. I didn't have to take training on that because I didn't need to. If I had needed to, I either wouldn't have bothered driving it or I'd have gone and got the training. With towing, it's going to be what's happened for years where people have just who've got the license on grandfather rights have just gone and bought a caravan and taken it out. Um, on the day the consultation was announced, there were three accidents involving caravans in Cornwall alone. I think there's about 40,000 accidents a year involving a trailer in some way. We can't for definite say that the accidents were the, the people towing a trailer's fault and that training would have stopped that, but it might have helped. I think I can imagine part of the problem there being it's almost like the, um, if we just look at sort of standard driving, th- there's that many near misses every day with people that have, well, not just people that haven't had a test for 40 years, but, you know, that many near misses when we're out on the road, you see all the time that much bad driving that, that you get lucky with because there wasn't someone there. And imagine it's the same thing for, for towing. You know, you could go and, you know, like say you pass your test, well, when the license is passed, uh, you, when the laws change, you go and pass your test, you, you pick up your trailer, you go driving, you nearly have 20 accidents, but you get away with it. You know, you might get lucky for the rest of your life, but we don't learn to drive based on that. We learn to drive on the what-if principle, and that's being just removed completely. Uh, I had a phone call from a guy a couple of weeks ago um, who his opening line was, I've been towing illegally for years. I now need to get legal. A lot of our clients are were towing illegally because they didn't see the benefit on it. I think the biggest issue our industry has in this country is that we have either the lowest or the second lowest killed and seriously injured statistics in Europe, if not the world. So there's no appetite for improving road safety because there's bigger things out there killing people. There's bigger things out there injuring people and causing life-changing events because of that. So because more people are dying from obesity or cancer or strokes, there's more appetite to try and change that. Whereas there's only, I think it's something like 1,800 people a year killed in road accidents. There's bigger fish to fry, which I think means that road safety is one of those things that's neglected almost. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's um, the what interested me the other day. Um, just and this is speak, speaking about a DVSA. The the day they announced that they were scrapping it, the following day they were promoting the Project Edward scheme. You know, every day without a road death. Um, and I'm a, a a big fan of Project Edward. I've had him on the show previously. I was on their podcast recently. I, I love what they're doing. I just found it really, really interesting that. The day after the announces, they're then promoting Project Edward, and then they took down all posts promoting it. The day after they announced it as well, Chris from the Driving Instruction Training Collective got invited on the Safe Driving for Life group. <laughs> yeah. The irony is astounding. Um, and I'm not a DVSA fan necessarily. I think I've got a very tough job to do. But I just feel like 
this is being steamrolled through with very little thought of the consequences. And I feel as though they don't actually understand what we do, especially when it comes to vocational stuff, because you can't just suddenly increase capacity. Um, probably what they might have found better is to actually make it so you had to have a qualification to be a lorry trainer. I've heard stories at the test centres. We all have a chat with the other trainers there. I've heard stories of people going in to become a lorry instructor and the first day they're wandering, someone throws them a set of keys and goes, your lorry's over there. There's two trainers out there. Any issues, you've got a phone number. Yeah. And you look at the qualification process to become a driving instructor, a motorbike instructor, and he is horrifically onerous. It's really difficult. I recently retrained as a mortgage advisor. That was so much easier. <laughs> and I'm talking to people who've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds as a mortgage and giving them advice on it. But the qualification process was so much easier. It's three exams, job done. When you said then that the, the, the DVSA don't necessarily understand what we do, do you think that's the case, or do you think that they don't care? As in, they're not they're not bothered. That is an excellent question. I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> but I won't do the politician thing of going on to something else. I will actually answer your question. I think a lot of the DVSA pods are civil servants. The challenge with civil servants are most of them haven't been out in the real world and run businesses. They don't necessarily understand what it's like. Um a lot of them are have probably wouldn't even know how to turn a lot, start a lorry, never mind do anything else with it. They might have to drive the thing. So I think that their people in policy don't understand the business implications of it. Um, I've seen on a Facebook group I'm a member of that someone's done thirteen and a half thousand pounds of refunds. I mean that's thirteen and a half thousand pounds. And they're now out of a job because all they do is B plus E. Yeah. Like I said, we're very fortunate that that's not all we do and that we, because of the demand for learners, that's what's filled the time. I mean, that's crippling. I had to refund 10 hours this week and that stung me. So, yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah I'm going to take a moment just to step back and, uh, and set the table. We're going to continue with this conversation after we've set the table. We're going to talk more about the, the DVSA and about the decision about the safety implications and the ramification for uh, instructors and uh, schools and so on and so forth. But you are listening to the Green Room edition of the Instructor Podcast every week where we're bringing you the latest news and updates and opinions and views on our industry and the goings on around it. If you want to listen to the full show, then head over to patreon.com forward slash instructor where you can pick up the full Green Room edition every week and all the bonus shows we do, including the most recent one, which was Ray Seagrave, who joined me for a good chat about the standards check, where every time we're going to be delving into a different element of the competencies, competencies around there and some other brilliant features coming up as well, uh, including the test reports, where we're divulging into different aspects of the driving test and stories around that, as well as some very special TES talks we've got coming up and a whole host of other things. But as I mentioned, I am joined today, and I'm going to say it again because I have agreed with myself now, the delightful Ian Brett. So, uh, so yeah, Ian, just tell us a little bit about yourself and anything that you want to promote to anybody listening. So I am the better looking half of the Driving Instruction Trainers Collective. Um, I've been an ADI since about 2008, um, and I have taught in cars, I've taught in minibuses, cars and trailers, and I 
spent a good couple of summers before COVID hit teaching people to drive tanks. Um, there is nothing quite like drifting a tank in the rain in some mud. About that, six and a half tons of steel going sideways is so much fun. That um, that threw me for a second because I'm thinking, did he say a tank? He said tank, didn't he? <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, you know, the DVSA will be letting people drive them with, you know, on roads, no problem soon. I did the great fun. Yeah, brilliant. That's what we all, all what we need is tanks going down the road. Great. Um, so I'm going to ask you one I've more question. I've completely qu- thrown you, haven't I? Yes, you have thrown me there, but I'm going to bring <laughs> it back because I'm going to ask you one more question to give me a chance to regain my own composure, which is why should people join the DITC? The big thing about the DITC is that um, we are not an organisation that necessarily wants to engage with the DVSA. We're not beholden to them. We will challenge them. And if they want to engage with us, we will. If they want to, like Chris being on the Safe Driving for Life group, that's brilliant. And we will engage with them, but we will give them honest feedback on what is said and we'll give them honest feedback on their services because it doesn't help anybody if we're not. Um, We're also trying to improve the lot of driving instructors so um we've got the um, ability for driving instructors to get a student card because the driving instructors were always evolving what we're doing we're all taking a cpd we've managed to negotiate with totem who are the current student card name um that our members can get that uh, i've saved I think about 120 pounds on the macbook air that i'm using to run zoom and i got a free set of airpods as well with the student card so that for me more than paid the membership and more than paid um for getting the totem card we've also got some other things that we're working on at the moment to try and help instructors save money and to stay safe within their business brilliant i mean look uh, for anyone listening uh, you you know this uh, if you're listening for the first time i'm going to say it again anyway i'm a huge advocate of the ditc i stumbled across the ditc and i always say ditc because i can never remember if it's instructors or instructor training collective so but we'll go with ditc um i stumbled across them in season one and the big thing for me and i don't mean to be flippant about this the totem card is is brilliant i don't care what i like is the way you guys engage um, this is the first time I've spoken to you. And when I contacted you the other day, you were straight back to me. Yep, we'll do that. We'll sort it. When can we do it? Um, Chris, I've obviously had more dealings with, but you know, whether it's you or Chris or anyone within your group or your page or your forum or anything, it's unbelievably helpful. Um, and uh, this isn't a criticism of any of the associations. That's not aimed at that way. It's aimed as pure praise for the ITC. And um, I don't know your feelings on this yet. I'm just going to spur this out with a minute. You may hang up this call when I say this. It's still massively too cheap. I will continue to nag that you are underselling massively what you are doing. And I'm not going to let you come back on this, by the way. Uh, so please go and join them now before they eventually listen to what I'm saying and put their prices up. But either way, um, don't go join them. It's, it's one of the most helpful and... And 
I'm going to use the word communicative places I've ever come across. And they're very open and honest. So when they're interacting with the DVSA, they will actually tell you and where possible, obviously, and they will show you the, the relevant information. And I genuinely think it's worthwhile. But that's enough of me plugging that now. Uh, if you want to hear the rest of this show, head over to patreon.com forward slash the instructor. There'll be a link in the show notes and you can always find it on social media or you can always message me. Loads of good stuff going over there. If you listen on the podcast version, thank you for joining us. Head over and check out the full version when you can, but have a great day. If you listen on Patreon, we're going to carry on. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.